0: This is Clark Peterson, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk.
1: Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Career, Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving he's hard he's down the alley and he scores. Yes. What a goal from Josh Bird. Caleb Trainer. Swinton scores. Yes. You are kidding me? By Dylan Ward gets top side oh, scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson.
2: What's up, ProloCross fans? Welcome to another edition of ProloCross Talk presented by Fanatics. Reminder to visit ProLacrosstalk.com/slash NLL shop or ProLacrosstalk.com/slash NLL shop dash CA for our Canadian fans for your official NLL team gear. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. Today I'm joined by PLT contributor Sam Long. Sam, thank you for joining me today. Um, great to have you on the podcast for the first time. You've been doing a lot behind the scenes for us, you've joined our Twitter spaces a few times. As well, but now you're making your Pro Lacrosse Talk podcast debut. How's it going today? And what did
1: you think of this PLL news that we're going to start off with? Oh, uh, yeah! You know, thanks for having me on the podcast. You know, it's it's um, you know, I love talking lacrosse, and I'm uh, you know, doing pretty well. And I'm doing a lot better now that I found out that the PLL is doing you know free agency. Um, I mean, since since they started, that was something me and my buddies always talked about. Of like, you know, mm-hmm. I wish that there was more of a, a player aspect, like where they wanted to play. Um, especially because, like, if if you were a player in the league and you didn't want to be on your team, your only options were basically be cut or be traded. Mm -hmm. Um, At least now, you know, you can kind of let your contract expire and then go maybe sign with the team you actually want to play for. So I think it'll be um, really good for the sport and really good uh, for, I think, creating a little more interest in the offseason. I think that's one thing that kind of – they try to do a good job with, but free agency really, I think, will boost their offseason engagement. No, I agree.
2: And we'll have to wait till 2023, unfortunately, for free agency, but it is coming. They're going to have a restructuring period coming up. Um, But some other news accompanying this is that the coaches that act as the GMs on their teams are now going to have a certain salary allotment. They're going to have a cap of seven hundred and thirty five thousand dollars that they're going to have to allocate and they're going to have to allocate at least 98 percent of that. Um, So that's essentially the cap. And then the floor is seven hundred and twenty thousand three hundred. So nice to see that there's kind of now a salary cap and floor that's going to, you know, definitely maintain parity in the league. I think the parity in the league has been pretty good so far, Um, but that's going to kind of, you know, reinforce that where teams aren't going to just be able to be stacked. Um, These coaches are going to have a little bit more decisions to make based on salaries and stuff. And the fact that they're going to be the one restructuring it, you know, creates a little bit more of an interesting dynamic. So um, this is a report from inside lacrosse. January 18th to 23rd, uh, there'll be the off-season roster movement window, which will allow coaches to trade and release players prior to the start of the player signing window, which starts on January 24th um, and goes until April 1st. So that signing window will allow coaches then to allocate their compensation for their full 25-man roster. So we should see some interesting moves. You know, Even though there isn't going to be a free agency period, you might see some players released um, and then picked up by other teams um, based on you know salary constraints. So that's going to be something that's interesting, and you might see some trades also made based on salaries and stuff. So the whole thing's going to be interesting. We still don't know if we're going to actually, you know, know publicly players' salaries, but we got a little bit more details on the number of figures, um, especially in terms of college draft picks. The top four picks will receive, in this order, thirty thousand, twenty-eight thousand five hundred, twenty-seven thousand, and then twenty-six thousand dollars as their base salary to start, and then every draft pick after that will have a base salary twenty-five thousand which no other player will make less than 25,000. That's going to be the bare minimum salary, which is, you know, leaps and bounds above what it was at the MLL. So again, PLL pushing forward to um, make sure this is a professional league. Those aren't professional, you know, type numbers that we have come to know in other sports teams, which, you know, is something as lacrosse fans, we're gonna to have to get used to a little bit, you know, it wasn't public information, but a lot of people knew that these players weren't paid well. Now that we kind of have dollar figures associated to it, hopefully those figures will start to go up, but, that's the reality of where our sport currently is right now. But any other thoughts on this news? And do you have any players that, you know, even though there's no free agency period this year, that you're kind of hoping to see in free agency or maybe see, you know, released from their teams and go to another team this off season?
1: Yeah. I, you know, as a diehard archers fan, I'm really excited um, for, you know, obviously I was really excited when they picked up Graham Hosek, uh, cause he's an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, I'd, what I'd like to see, and this is going to be an issue, is like off guys mainly because that's a, I think the archer's biggest issue. But there's not that many like really good face-off guys. You've got like Joe Ardella, who consistently is like really good. TD Erland this past year was really good. I will mm-hmm. see if he can continue that success in year two. And then Trevor Baptiste, really good. Outside of those three, kind of the rest of the guys are like you know it will get you around fifty percent. But like those are the top three. So I think it'll be really interesting how the thing, the face-off position shapes out most of all. I honestly don't want it to become like in the NFL where there's like a kicker, just carousel. But Mm -hmm. I think you could see that uh, where, you know, you've got a guy that's, you know, he's not getting the job done. And there's a free agent that can, you think do at least as good and maybe better. So you just drop and sign the next one. So that's the thing thing I'm kind of the most interested to see is how kind of these specialist positions shake out with free agency.
2: No, I think that's a, a good point. You know, and the three teams you mentioned, um, you know, obviously have solid faceoff guys. TD was worth his weight in gold as that top draft pick for the Redwoods. Um, you know, Max Adler kind of came into his own as well. So I think, you know, those four teams, uh, Chaos, Redwoods, Atlas, and Whipsnakes are pretty set. But the other four, yeah, I, I think, you know, you might see a carousel. You kind of saw it a little bit already with the Cannons, you know, picking up some guys um, in the expansion draft. And then, um, you know, didn't really work out, didn't pan out. So I think they're going to kind of look to the draft. I think you saw, like you said, the Archers really, it, it hurt them, you know, and I, I'm sure they were in on probably some other face-off guys, you know, maybe like Gallagher or whatever early on and, um, you know, didn't really fault them. And Gaffney, you know, showed a little bit of glimmers, you know, when he was able to play, but um, yeah, that's definitely going to be an interesting thing going forward. I agree hundred percent with that, you know, and what does Con- the Chrome do with Connor Farrell? You know, he had a down year, but He's obviously shown that he can still perform at this, in this league. So, you know, does another team take a chance on him? A lot to kind of figure out. And again, you know, I'm more excited less for the contract values, but knowing the years, I think, you know, we did get to see some players re-sign with the league and they announced like how many years they were, but now I think that's going to be more public and that's going to be interesting. You know, Oh, someone's in a contract year. Um, you know, what are they going to do next season? I think that's going to be uh, what I'm looking forward to uh, most going forward, you know, now that there is kind of going to be free agency and free agency is going to be great and kind of necessary now that expansions kind of slow down a little bit. So it doesn't sound like they're going to add any more expansion teams. I think that's a good you know thing to do right now is just kind of wait a little bit. I think eight teams is pretty set. I would love to see more teams definitely in the future. Um You know, don't get me wrong there, but I think, you know, wait maybe a year or two before you add some more teams. I think the parity in the league's good where it's at right now. So adding that free agency period, is definitely going to help with the parity of the league because expansion kind of filled that void um, for a time being, you know, in the first couple of years of the the league. Now, if you're not going to have expansion drafts, teams are going to stay relatively the same. And how do you kind of, you know, break up the whip snakes or, you know, kind of allow some bottom teams to kind of be competitive. That's the way you do it. um, That in the draft, of course. But yeah, I, I think this is great news for the sport going forward kind of puts it, you know, back on the the same level as the NLL, which does has a free agency period, operates a lot like a professional league. We don't know the dollar figures necessarily for the NLL. A lot of it's, you know, you know, unsaid. Um, But um, I think this is is a good move for uh, professional field lacrosse. We also have the PLL top 50 that's going on right now. I mean, you had a few people that have already been revealed that we would have probably put in our top 10, but who's in your top 10 if you are doing it?
1: Um, well, so my top 10, uh, you know, I took a look at yours and I was like, okay, you know, not bad. And then I, I looked um, at some of the uh, basically like the percentages of, like, for example, like I've got um, Zed Williams 23.5%. That's how many goals he scored of his total teams. Um, and Zed was hurt for a couple of games this past year. So I thought that that really stood out to me that he, you know, was really impressive with that. Uh, Jeff Teat, the fact that he didn't play until like week three or four, like he had a couple of games behind and still almost past grant amen for most points in the league um so i was fine with him sitting at two um and then i put lyle thompson at three uh because he he had some really really strong games this past year um Mm -hmm. and then he also had like 20 percent of the cannons goals um tom schreiber i was you know i know tom schreiber is like one of the best players in the world um and so I was really shocked to see that, you know, he only scored 11% of his team's goals. Um, and it's not even like he had a down year. Like he had a pretty good year. He had like 30 points. I mean, that's that, that's a pretty good year. Um, I think it's just the fact that the archers have so much firepower on offense that they don't initially need Shriver. Yeah. yeah. They don't they don't need him to, you know, run in there and, you know, score five a game. Um you know, so, so I put him – I still put him at four, even though maybe his stats don't indicate that he's like – I still think he's that caliber of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, Blaze Reardon, I threw in at five, the best goalie in the league. You know, this past year, the only thing I dinged him on is the fact that he let in the most two points uh, of any other goalie in the league, um, which kind of shocked me. But, you know, I was like, eh. So I put him at five. Still, obviously, a fantastic player. And then another chaos teammate, Josh, uh, Josh Burns, at six. Uh, Graham Hosick at seven. He had almost 20% of the archers cause turnovers, which I think is a crazy stat. Um, Matt Rambo was hurt a lot last year, but, you know, still think he's one of the best players in the league. Um, Costabile at nine. I was, when I was at Costabile, I was a little disappointed with how I think little he assisted. And I was actually, I was at the semifinals um, in Philly um, this past season. And, you know, I, was, I went with a couple of my teammates and like, we were watching Costabile just kind of run and take a bunch of shots. And we're like, ah, dude, like you got, you know, you got Jeff T, like relax, man, like run the offense.
0: Um,
1: so that you know, I put him at nine. I think he he has the potential to be um, I think a Schreiberian player where he's like, you know, he can do it all. because um, mm-hmm. he he can play defense really well too. Um, so yeah, maybe he, you know, with a couple of years of development, he can hop into that, like Zach Courier, Tom Schreiber kind of do it all, uh, you know, type of midfielder, and then Michael Earhart at 10. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have, I don't think, uh, he didn't have a great year. Uh, he had like seven points, which I think is a little low for him. I think the past couple of years, he's been like the 15 ish mark. Mm -hmm. Um, and he only had six cost turnovers, which wasn't even good for like top five on his team. Um, but I I would assume he'll bounce back next year. I mean, he's a world-class player, you know?
2: Yeah, no. And I had a, a similar list, uh, to you, you know, two guys you mentioned, Brian Costabile and Josh Byrne um were guys that you know i really kind of wanted to put in my top 10 josh burn is in my top 10 and i was really shocked that um he didn't find himself in the top 10 he ended up landing at 11 on the list so really close to the top 10 but i would put him up there um me personally so i, I had a similar to list than you i can't imagine though a world where blaze raven doesn't go number one this year um now and that's not me saying uh necessarily that you know he's number one, maybe over Lyle Thompson, Tom Schreiber all the time or whatever. Cause I I still consider those two guys, you know, top in the game along with Jeff Teat. But what he did this season, um, he's gotta be number one in my book. So I had Blaze Reardon, Jeff Teat, Lyle Thompson, Tom Schreiber, Josh Byrne, Graham Hasek, Michael Earhart, Zach Courier, Matt Rambo, and Zed Williams. So Rambo and Zed Williams, I moved down a little bit lower, you know, again, just because they did have some injuries that kind of kept them out. Doesn't mean they're still not top players, but Um, that's kind of where I have my list. Um, Brian Costabile just barely missed as well. Um, you know, him and Grant Ayman were, I was trying to toy them in there, but I I couldn't put them over any of those other guys that I had in there. So again, way things have shaked out Costabile and Byrne are out of the top 10. So it seems like we're going to get, um, a top 10 in no particular order Blaze Reardon, Jeff T, Lyle Thompson, Tom Schreiber, Graham Hasek, Matt Rambo, Zed Williams, Michael Earhart, Zach Courier, and Grant Ayman, how that shapes out. Uh, we'll be able to debate next episode and see, but um, those are who it seems like are going to be making in the top 10 based on who's been revealed. That kind of brings us to some snubs. Um, again, I honestly don't have that many problems with this list. You know, you can you know move people up and down a little bit. Um, there's a few people that I think are criminally, you know ranked too low. But in terms of people that didn't make this list, I, I don't know if I would really leave anyone off this list. I think maybe Ratliff would be a guy I would drop if I want to get a guy in. Um, you know, you look at Jackson Morrill and Jake Caraway as two rookies that had, um, you know, great performances this year. Morrill was 18th in points. Caraway was 23rd. Um, so I would have liked to see them maybe get on this list. But this list isn't always a perfect indication of how this whole season goes. You kind of still base it off of, you know, past performances. So I'm kind of fine with them not being on the list. Um, and then I was surprised that Eddie Glazner and Cade Van Rapphorst weren't on. I would probably put Glazner or Rapphorst in Ratliff's spot um because i feel like both those guys you know rap horse was top five and caused turnovers um and also led high in ground balls as a close defender so um you know i like one of those guys to get in instead of Ratliff. other than that though you know not too many complaints from me but any complaints from you in terms of people that snubbed or people that you think are criminally too low on this list
1: yeah I, that's kind of the difficult thing about a top 50 uh list for the PLL is that you have uh you're, you're, you're trying to balance between, okay, what did the player do this year? What have they done in the past? Mm-hmm. Do I think that they're going to rebound? You know, like Tom Schreiber um, is a good example of that. Uh, but then there's there's Liam Burns, who's sitting there at 27, and he led the league and caused turnovers. I, crazy. I didn't understand that. I, um, I think that a lot of the close defenders are criminally underrated. I think that a lot of the guys in the list, you kind of see it's like, oh, they they do a bunch of, like, flashy things. Like, uh, Trevor Baptiste is, like, 12. And it's like, okay, yeah, he wins a bunch of faceoffs. That's like, that's flashy. You can throw that stat up there. It's like, oh, he's like eighty percent in the game. You know, things like that. Um, as as a uh, D mid in college, you know, I understand it's not the flashiest position. It's you know, defense is not a is not where the glory is. Um, and I think that's pretty heavily reflected in the the top fifty because you got like Garrett Eppel's in like number twenty nine. He's like high twenties, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just have these guys that like can manhandle 25, yeah. 25. Yeah. You guys that can just absolutely manhandle like people like Matt Rambo and they're like, Oh yeah, you're 25. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I agree with you
2: on Burns. I was shocked that he was that low 27. Um, you know, I, I toyed with him in my top 10, to be honest, um, couldn't do it, you know, but like, I felt bad like leaving him out of my top 10 because I was like, oh, I, I'm leaning very off awesome, offensive heavy, you know, as an attackman myself, you know, kind of, you know, biases are towards the offense, but yeah, I mean, he top caused turnovers in the league when they moved him down to close, like that, re, you know, pretty much reinvented that defense and they played so much better. Um, and he's been in that position, you know, if you want to go off the of career, he's been in that position, you know, previously in the MLL, you know, leading cause turnovers. So very, very shocked that he was that low. That was probably the one that I really had a, a huge, you know, problem with. Um, other than that, you know, not not too many complaints really from me um, in terms of this list. You know, there's a few guys. I think Ryland Reese is another guy that you know, Water Dogs poll. I would have probably moved up a little bit. Um, and I did like to see Ben Randall on this list because I've been preaching that he's criminally underrated for a while. I was shocked that the Water Dogs were able to land him and Burns. They like before Hosick was in the mix. Those were my two top defenders going into this entry draft. And then when Hasse came into the mix, you know, he obviously moved to number one for me, but um, I was shocked that the Dogs were able to land, both those guys. So I liked seeing Randall on that list. Um, sounds like the players give him a lot more respect than maybe the, the fans do. And he's a quiet player. So it's understood that, you know, maybe he doesn't get the, the glamor as some of these other players. But yeah, overall this list, I, I didn't have much of a problem. And, you know, it's hard to argue with the players at the end of the day. But uh, those were a few, few things, uh, a few players too, that I, I hope can maybe bounce back. Um, and maybe, you know, land on this list. I mean, I think Jordan McIntosh, Connor Fields, and Chris Cloutier are all three that are kind of underrated. Um, you know, you know maybe could have found a spot on this list in some instances, but based on the teams that they're on, um, Cloutier definitely had a bigger role this year, but injuries kind of held him back a few games. Uh, Connor Fields, a lot of mouth defeats on that Archer's team, as we mentioned. So reason why, you know, he wasn't always in the spotlight and uh, Jordan McIntosh being on a, a Chrome team that was you know, pretty disappointing most of the season um, despite them meaning a lot to their team. Um, so other than that, you know, hopefully Gutterding and Burnlaw can bounce back. Those are two that, you know, were kind of staples last year that fell off. And for, you know, valid reasons, Gutterding didn't play in a few games, didn't have a great season, then got traded to the Whip Snakes and kind of, you know, found his own a little bit, but you know, that was only for a handful of games. And then Burnlor obviously had a, probably his worst season as a professional, unfortunately, but they're expecting him to, you know, get back to form. So, those are two guys that don't necessarily, I think, deserve to be on this list, but um, you could see bounce back and get on this list going forward. Any other thoughts, parting thoughts on this top 50?
1: Yeah, I know I've got a note in there about um, kind of like the I mean, parity of talent. So you have, you know, uh, the top 50. I mean, there's feasibly, you know, you got like 18, 20-man rosters, eight teams. So you're, you're looking at about 150 players and then you're ranking a third of them, you know? So I feel like it's, you know, kind of, you got to walk a fine line between ranking too many players and ranking not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like, uh, you know, like in in basketball, people debate, you know, like their top three and there's been players since the fifties that you can argue that can be Mm -hmm. in that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's really hard to sit there and like rank a third of your players, but, you know, I love seeing the outcome because it's always fun to debate what the, what the players think about everybody.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I think that's, you know, it, the consensus of what the top 10 is, is not you know, it doesn't bother me too much, but seeing, you know, where everyone ranks um, is going to be, I'm telling you, I I'm riding if blaze ridden is the number one, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just, I think given his season, he needs to be, um, you know, we'll see what the players think. So our wraps up our PLL discussion, we're going to break down some of these NLL games as well. But before we do that, we were joined by Clark Peterson. I got to talk to him about his seven point game against the rock. So let's hear from our interview with Clark Peterson. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we are lucky to have Halifax Thunderbirds forward Clark Peterson joining the show following a seven-point performance against the Rockets on register six goals. Clark, thanks for joining me. What's it like getting back on the floor with this Thunderbirds team?
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been really good. It's been um, it's really really good to connect with the guys again, um, especially off, you know, such a, such a long period. And, um, you know, staying in touch with them, texting and whatever and, and messaging. But being back, you know, with the team as a group in the locker room, Plane rides, bus rides, whatever it may be, has been really awesome, um, and something that I think myself and a lot of people have been missing is that uh, that personal kind of connection. So, um, one thing that I really you know love about our team, and I think is what makes us such a good team, is how close we are and how tight knit we are. So, um, that connection of kind of getting everybody back together has been has been awesome, um, and, and I've been really enjoying it. And um, you know, so far it's been shown on the floor as well. So, it's been a good start to the season for us.
2: Yeah, no, we'll talk about your guys' 2-0 and start, but I want to go back a little bit before, you know, your big night and talk about your time um at Cornell. At Cornell, you finished in the top 10 for career goals and points and were a three-time captain for the Big Red as well. Uh, talk about what it was like playing at Cornell and how did that really shape you as a player?
0: Yeah, I think going to Cornell was like one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Um, right now I work at the Hill Academy and, you know, guiding, you know, the high school that I went to and guiding kind of students to, um, you know get to the next level and things like that like something that I always tell them is like this is one of the biggest decisions that you're going to kind of make in your life right where you're going to go to university for you know spend the next four years of your life some really formative years so for me um, Cornell was the, the the best decision I've ever made and, and has had probably one of the biggest impacts on my life lacrosse you know personal all, all that kind of stuff right um, so it, it was amazing it was an amazing experience and you know I wouldn't trade it for the world I'd, made my best friends there ton of amazing experiences on and off the field um you know experienced some success um you know as a team uh, and personal as well but um really the biggest thing is just like the culture of of you know Cornell lacrosse Cornell University and um I think it's something that's super unique and and you know it's hard to kind of describe in words but um just being being in that culture really kind of shaped me as a as a person and as a player uh something that I'm super grateful for but uh, you know, I loved every second of it.
2: No, for sure. It's definitely one of the most historic programs in college lacrosse. And then on the flip side, you're a member of the Brampton Excelsiors. Um, and you recorded 387 points during those five seasons there. How did your time with Brampton ha- kind of help you um both in the box game and prepare you for the next level?
0: Yeah, I think that one kind of consistent thing there or theme there would be uh, you know, Jeff Teat, my you know, one of my best friends, right? Um mm-hmm. uh, played with him at the hill at Cornell and and in Brampton as well. So we spent a lot of time together um, on the floor, off the floor, developing a, you know, a relationship and a chemistry. Um, So really, uh, you know, playing with him um, at at both those kind of stages um, really just helped me kind of develop myself, right? We, uh, you know, we developed a really good chemistry with each other, learned to play off each other, you know, kind of have that righty lefty dynamic where we're always, Um, keeping our head up and our eyes up for each other and that, you know, I I like to say like when you're playing with Jeff, like it's really easy. Like you just kind of do the simple things and, you know, you'll either he'll find you and you'll have a nice little tap in or, um, you know, he'll magically kind of be open off ball. But um, that's one thing that really uh, helped me and my game is having, being able to play with a guy like him Um, making, you know, some deep runs in the playoffs Our one mental run in, in our last year there um learned a lot from those experiences as well um you know didn't 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 win unfortunately but um you know for me you're you're either winning or you're learning so um you know just learning a bunch from from being able to play with guys like Jeff and you know Tyson Gibson and and uh, the the loaded roster that we had in Brampton for all five of my years and and, you know in some big games and, and learning through experiences that way as well.
2: No, I like that. If you're not winning, you're learning. That's a, a good quote that I'm gonna definitely steal. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned those two guys, Tyson and Jeff. You're getting to play them. Um, January 8th when the Thunderbirds take on the Riptide. Uh, are you guys have any you know talk going right now? You know, hopefully uh, Jeff is good to go after you know, land on the COVID list. But uh, you guys trash talking a little bit. You got that one circled on your calendar.
0: No, I mean for for me that's like a that's like a, a light year away, right? We've got the bye week coming up, and then you got the Christmas break as well. Um, So right now it's kind of like the mode that I feel like we're in as a team is just focusing on kind of getting healthy. Um, We've had a little bit of an injury bug here to start the year. So getting healthy, a couple good weeks of practice here um, and then, you know, focusing on Calgary. And, and, you know, I work with Jeff every day at the Hill. So, uh, you know, we do talk a little bit, not really, you know, chirping back and forth, but more of like, watching film together trying to dissect defenses and and offenses and you know goalies and all that kind of stuff Um, myself Jeff Teat, and Riley O'Connor kind of spending some time a lot of time watching film after you know the day's kind of done Um, but you know not too much chirping and and especially you know for me I feel like that game's a a light year away so um, just working on focusing on having a good practice tomorrow and then you know trying to take care of Calgary in a couple weeks here too.
2: Absolutely. It is next year. So, you know, you got the time. (laughs) Um, And going off of that, you know, talk about the feeling of getting drafted by the Thunderbirds organization in 2019. You're one of the last classes to get a live draft at uh, Xfinity Live in Philadelphia. What was it like hearing your name uh, called and then getting to stand up on that stage?
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Um, You know, it was really cool um, being there with a lot of even guys that I grew up playing with, like uh, Warren Jeffrey, Tanner Thompson, um, you know, the, some of my Mimico buddies there. Um, and, and being in that in-person kind of draft was, was really special for me. My dad was there, you know, uh, one of my best friend's dads, Riley Hutchcraft's dad, Brad, was there. One of my biggest supporters was just out at our game against the Rock last weekend. Love seeing him. But um, the night is kind of like a, a blur where, you know, there's a bunch of things going on. You're, you're extremely nervous. uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, it it happens and you're feeling of elation and, you know, this and that, and people are hugging you and pictures and that. So uh, it really is kind of flies by, but um, something that I'll I'll definitely always remember just because um, of how, you know, it's, it's really a lifelong kind of dream and goal come true. Right. Something that you, Mm -hmm. when you first pick up a stick, you, you know, you want to play in the NLL, you want to play, you know, under the lights Friday night, Saturday night. Right. So, um, seeing that kind of hard work, um, that you put in all and all that time and preparation that you put in kind of, you know, it's a small step, but it, it is, a, but at the same time, it's a big step of, you know, you know, you're not, you're not made it. You haven't made it once you get drafted. Right. But mm-hmm. it is a pretty cool thing and, and a unique experience where, um, you know, you get the opportunity to continue to play the game that you grew up playing and, and you love and, you know, can make a living out of it too, which is, which is really awesome.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And I feel like you kind of made it in your first game as a rookie. Uh, you know, you had a hat trick in that game against the Rochester Nighthawks. So talk me through that, you know, opening day, your first game ever. Uh, any pregame jitters in that game? Uh, or were you kind of just feeling it? And was it kind of any other game when you, you scored that hat trick?
0: Yeah, so I I, I didn't play in our home opener. Um, so really, it was kind of just a little bit of making sure that, um, you know, trying to to get my feel my feet under me, but also letting myself and, you know, teammates and everybody know, like, you know, this is where I belong. And, uh, you know, this isn't kind of, you know, it's not a fluke or um, whatever, like I'm ready, I have put in the work. So I'm um, just kind of trusting myself and my abilities, as well as, um, you know, guys that I always talk about are the leaders of our offense. You know, back then it was Benny who we lost, but, you know, Jammer has always been a an awesome guy for me to, you know, learn from and bounce ideas, questions off. He's always there for, for support and, and Keo big time as well, being working Mm -hmm. on that right side with him. So like leaders like that really helped me kind of get settled in. And then it was just, you know, trusting my abilities and having some confidence in myself um, and, and just going out there and making plays and not worrying about, you know, whatever happens happens, just, you know, don't try and force anything, play within your game and um, you know, the rest will take care of itself as long as you're kind of putting in that full effort. Uh, the result really, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you can look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I, I kind of gave it my all.
2: No, absolutely. And, you know, you had a great rookie season before it was cut short, 16 goals, 22 assists through 11 games. Um, and now flash forward, you know, you guys are back on the floor. You're two and O you have that sock trick. Um, this past weekend, what was it like, you know, recording that? Um, and were you just, you know, just feeling yourself that
0: game. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, it's not something that I would necessarily, like, kind of, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm at four goals, I'm at five goals. It's kind of just, mm-hmm. like, for me and what I always kind of stress to, like, uh, in, in the role that I'm at right now at the Hill, like, coaching, um, you know, being able to kind of mold some some younger minds uh, is just, like, the next play mentality. So, um, whatever it is, good play or bad play, it's, you know, that happened, whatever, next play. So, for me, it's like, okay, you know, I scored. Okay. I'm on the ball team. Okay. Next play. Let's, you know, what can I do to make sure Wiz gets this face off here or, you know, secure, we can secure this possession and, and, you know, run our offensive set. So um, for me, it's kind of having that short, short memory. um, And like I kind of just said, playing your hardest every single shift, doing what you can to kind of contribute to the team. And some nights that's going to be scoring. Uh, Some nights it's it's going to be picking up loose balls and setting picks and doing some of the the dirtier stuff that doesn't really get recognized on the stat sheet, but just focusing on that next play and not not really worrying about uh, where you're at in the game. Personally, it's like, you know, how can I contribute to the team? If that's, you know, if I get an open look, then boom, I have to hit that. And that's going to be my contribution. If I have to get back on defense, then that's my contribution. And that's the way our whole kind of team and, and offense plays, right? If, uh, you know, Warren's got to make the big stops on breakaways and crease dies and this, like that's what he does, right? If he's got to make an outlet pass, he'll do it. If we got to get back on defense, if we got to sprint to the bench to create a breakaway, that's, that's kind of the the way our team plays. So just doing what you can to to kind of contribute to the win.
2: No, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up coaching because, I think that's probably uh, an important part of kind of what shaped you in your career. Now you kind of get to give back to this next generation at the Hill Academy um, where you went to school as well. Um, Talk about coaching and getting into it. And do you see yourself, you know, you obviously have a, you know, a whole career ahead of you, but do you see yourself one day getting into coaching eventually?
0: Yeah. Coaching for me has been a major part of kind of my development, right? So for me, it started with my uncles, uh, my uncle, Brian Huntley and Dave Huntley. They kind of taught me, lacrosse from when I first picked up a stick um uh, Brian everybody calls him tank uh he kind of you know was the first person to kind of teach me lacrosse to Coached coach uh, myself in our, our 97 age group in Mimico um up until we were peewees taught us all the fundamentals and the basics and um you know it's it's really kind of paid off and you know I think it's why Uh, some couple of really strong 97s uh, from Mimico, you know, seeing the NLL myself, Warren Jeffrey, Jackson Sublock, right. Riley Hutchcraft um, working, being out there and playing in the NLL now, which is kind of cool to see from that small team. But um, coaches have been massive for me throughout, throughout my whole kind of career. Um, And now having that ability to, to be a coach and give back, it's opened up kind of a new perspective for me where it's like, you know, I kind of know what to say to the kids and, and, and coach them up. Like you need to do this in terms of X's and O's, or maybe if it's it's a little bit more of the intangibles of, you know, keep your head up, have good body language. And it's like, okay, I'm saying that to these, to these kids, right. I've got to, I've got to kind of do that myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, they're, they're in high school, they're going to be watching NLL games. I can't go out there and be palms up to the ref or, you know, taking dumb penalties or, you know, costing my team and then come back to school on Monday and tell, tell them, like, you can't be doing this, palms up to the refs, you can't mm-hmm. be swearing, you can't be right. So, you know, it's another kind of level of accountability and um, open up that perspective of just, you know, trying to, if you're going to kind of say something, you, you got to stand by that as well, right? Your actions speak louder than your words. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a level of accountability. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see um, as well.
2: Yeah, no, I'm sure that's really rewarding to get to, to coach those guys. And like you said, it kind of, you know, makes you, kind of coach yourself a little bit too. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. We're going to move on now to our five and five segment. I'll ask five lacrosse questions and five off the floor questions. And the first one I have is, do you have any pregame superstitions or routines? Uh,
0: not really. <clears throat> I think uh, a pregame shoot around. I like to kind of stay out after get some extra reps in um, work on some shots that I notice in film or um, you know, if a defense kind of is susceptible to a specific move or whatever, try and work on those. Um, like do that pregame shoot around before the game. I, uh, I have a little wall ball routine that I do to try and get my hands ready. Um, and then some shots that I want, I like to work on just to, you know, stay dialed in. Um, but nothing, nothing really off the floor. I'm a big snack table guy. If you ask anybody on my team, I'm always hanging out by the snack table, um, getting Gatorade and whatever, Blueberries, whatever. Um, that's kind of my pregame routine.
2: like it. And then uh, number two, what's been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at, whether that's field or indoor?
0: Uh, I'd have to go Halifax, go with the Homer answer here, yeah, right? That's... Playing in Halifax has been awesome. Um, I felt like our first year, uh, the fans just kind of kept coming out in droves, like more and more every game, um, which was really cool for them. Like just kind of, you know, there'd be you know 8,000 9,000 10,000 we were kept pushing those numbers uh as the season kind of progressed and that was kind of super cool and the energy in that building is like you can kind of feel it sometimes um and and it really is an awesome place to play there in, in the nest
2: awesome yeah it's been you know it's crazy how quickly that you know I guess the fans really came out um for you guys they must be really excited to have you guys there and definitely have you guys back after that long hiatus Number three, what is your current stick setup in terms of head, shaft, and string?
0: I use a a torque head and a a gate ice shaft currently. Uh, My boy, Brett Dobson, strings them up for me. Goalie at at St. Bonaventure there. Um, He kind of gets them dialed in for me, but um, yeah, all all gate.
2: Awesome. And then number four, who's a lacrosse player that you've looked up to when you were younger? Uh, Who's been a mentor to you during your career?
0: Yeah. the the crossbar that I most looked up to when I was younger is my cousin, uh, Kevin Huntley, uh, mm. played at Hopkins. Um, so, like, he was, you know, he's kind of, like, the reason why I wear 24. Someone actually recently asked me, like, why do you wear 24? Like, it's because of junior. And I was like, well, actually, it's because of my cousin, kind of, Kevin Huntley, and but I think he wore it because of junior. So, maybe it's, you know, by okay. a transitive property there or whatever. But uh, I looked up to my cousin big time. Um, I wanted to go to Hopkins, like, desperately – uh, you know with him and my uncles both going there but um yeah he, he was a big kind of role model for me um just you know playing at the highest level winning national championships in the NCAA um so that's somebody who I who I kind of looked up to throughout my whole kind of lacrosse career
2: yeah, no, Kevin Huntley was one that I definitely followed too, you know, and I, I feel like he doesn't get talked about as much, you know, because obviously yeah. you have people under in that area, that era, Kyle Harrison as well, but he was a big part of those Hopkins teams that, uh, you know, won national championships or, yeah. you know, um, got to the cha- national championship a bunch of times. Yeah, so, 100%.
0: Yeah, sure. Him and my uncle, I think first uh, father-son duo at Hopkins, have 100 goals east or something along those lines. Um, yeah, pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. And talk a little bit, you know, this is kind of, you know, 4A, 4B, but uh, a little bit about Dave Huntley as well and, you know, what he meant to you, you know, as a family member, but also just his impact on pro lacrosse, because he had a huge impact both on the box game, but also the field game as well, professionally.
0: For sure. I think, yeah, you can kind of just skip over the impact that he had on me as a, as a family member because of how massive his impact was as a as a kind of lacrosse icon, let's say, you know, Canada lacrosse mm-hmm. icon, right? Um, really being a driving force for field lacrosse in Canada, you know, Canada lacrosse, um, you know, being kind of the, I don't even know what his his role would be, but let's just say like the general of Canada lacrosse. And I don't think anybody in Canada lacrosse would uh, get mad at me for, for saying that he kind of ran the ship for uh, as long as he was out there, really pushing the men's field lacrosse game to a, to a higher level. Um, And what was the biggest thing for me was, you know, at his funeral, like, you know you always kind of think about like you the impact that you made in your life you kind of get judged you can kind of judge that by like who was at your funeral or like how many people right and it was like I've never seen that many people at a funeral kind of packed the whole church and down the street and and it was really crazy and um, I think just him giving back to the game um, so much um, is what kind of led to that so Mm-hmm. Um, yeah he was you know he can't overstate how how much he did for lacrosse
2: no absolutely and you know really spread it not only you know obviously you know its importance in Canada but you know him taking over the Blaze team and kind of spreading it across the United States as well in some markets in the U.S. that weren't really known to lacrosse so I, I think he you know obviously he's a staple um, and his presence is still being felt even after his time here so i um, definitely glad that we got to talk a little bit about that. My final one is a little bit more lighthearted, but if they made an NLL video game, who do you say deserves to be on the cover?
0: Cover of the video game. <laughs> cover of the NLL video game. I would say, you know, let's say it's the 2022 NLL video game, or whatever, mm-hmm. whoever is kind of the leader of the, uh, of the team who wins the championship or whatever, right? So if it's us, it's probably Jammer. If it's, you know, Saskatchewan, maybe Mark. Um, but, you know, I think you really got to put a lot of stock in uh, in whoever kind of leads their team to a championship. Um, so, yeah, let's just go with Jammer.
2: All right, yeah, because you're hoping yeah. it's you guys. That's awesome.
0: There you go. <laughs>
2: uh, moving to the off-the-floor questions, who's a player in another sport that you enjoy watching right now?
0: Uh, great question. I watch a lot of basketball. Um, I think it translates a lot to lacrosse. I love watching Kawhi when he was on the Raptors. Um, I think he did it at both ends of the floor, which is, you know, it's unusual, I'd say for an NBA kind of superstar to, to kind of do it at both ends of the floor like that. Um, so Kawhi, I really love, you know, kind of guys that operate in the pick and roll. So like Chris Paul, um, James Harden, I think is, you know, one of the most gifted offensive players and like Kevin Durant as well. Um, so, so maybe some of those guys, Paul Harden, Durant and and Kawhi Leonard too, for sure.
2: Awesome. And then number two, what are some hobbies or activities you enjoy doing when you're not on lacrosse field?
0: Uh, my life is like all lacrosse. So, <laughs> you know, I coach lacrosse for like three hours in the morning and then I kind of you know talk across with my team at the hill throughout the day do some individual meetings and stuff uh after school work out and watch film um so I like to eat (laughs) and maybe go to some nice some nice place to eat with with my girlfriend um some chocolate chip pancakes that's my specialty or that's my my go-to um but uh, yeah, maybe eat and, and travel, uh, which are two things. One one thing that we haven't really been able to do a bunch, but now starting to, getting back in the NL, I'll go to a bunch of different cities. Uh, it, it's really fun to do.
2: All right, well, that answer segues into two of my questions. So I'll start off with the food question. Hmm. Um, since you already said chocolate chip pancakes, you kind of gave me half the answer, but do you prefer to dine out or take out?
0: Uh, that's a. I I think depends. Dinner, dinner, you got to dine out. But mm-hmm. like breakfast brunch uh, I'd like to just take the, take that out and uh bring it home, put some put a movie on in a, you know on a Sunday or whatever lazy Sunday, but dinner it's nice to kind of get out um, get out on the town a little bit
2: mm-hmm. and then you mentioned vacationing uh where's your favorite vacation spot
0: favorite vacation spot for me maybe like the Bahamas, that's somewhere that I recently went, yeah. uh, anywhere with a beach, a beach and, and kind of warm ocean, I love, I love the beach, I like to just post up on the, in the sun, and, you know, maybe with a good book, and take a dip in the ocean every once in a while, but yeah, I'm I'm a big beach guy.
2: Yeah, no, that's awesome, I'm, I'm a big beach guy, too, I actually currently live uh Jersey Shore area, so, um, nice. couldn't stay away from the beach, decided to live there, um, yeah. uh, but, Bahamas is interesting because me and my wife are actually talking about potentially going to the Bahamas or another like you know tropical resort area So definitely gonna look into that um my final one and you mentioned watching movies as well as reading but what's a book tv show or even like a podcast that you've been binging recently that you'd recommend to a friend
0: yeah a book that I recently read is Grit by uh, Angela Duckworth I think that's like a awesome book for um people who are trying to you know, strive to reach the top of whatever their game, their profession, whatever. Um, That was a really cool read for me. And I'm actually probably going to start rereading that as well, just to kind of soak up a little bit more of that knowledge. But um, I'm not a big podcast guy. I don't know if I listen to too much. I like my music. So uh, I just kind of love, you know, listening to music in the car and the plane rides, whatever. But uh, a book that I kind of recently read is grit and, and it was awesome.
2: Yeah, no, I've never read that book, but I heard her TED Talk, and I've, that's been on my list to, to get around to eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely a good one for sure. Final question. That wraps up the five and five, but we always like to end on, uh, what is some advice you have for a young lacrosse player looking to one day play professionally?
0: I think you can never have your stick in your hand too much. Um, like if you if you talk to the greats and being able to spend a little bit of time with, with John Grant Jr. recently – he was up, up at the hill and and mm-hmm. coached me at the Team Canada uh, sixes there, right? He just talked about you know when we were just chit chatting how he always had a stick in his hand. He was always at the Mem Center playing wall. He said he'd play wall ball with like roller skates on, and mm-hmm. he'd buzz around the whole rink and um, with with roller skates on. And I think if you if you ask around to about you know some guys who are kind of all time greats, they they always had a stick in their hand, right? So like, wall ball, extra shots, like cradling it when you're watching TV, having a tennis ball in your stick and cradling it, getting a feel for, you know, a lighter ball in there, soften your hands up. Um, you can never have it in your in your hands too much. You can never, if you know, if you're if this is something that you're really passionate about, um, and you know, you want to become a professional lacrosse player, you you always kind of have that inner drive to um uh, want to do more. And if you have a hard workout and then a practice or whatever, and then you, you know, you do a shooting session and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna pack it up for the night, but you know, do a couple extra shots, right? Because like in the back of your head, well, maybe there's somebody who I'm competing against that for like a spot at the university or on the NLL roster or whatever down the road, like I'm going to get a couple more shots than even like that's just always kind of pushing yourself for a little bit more. You can never, you know, there's never too much in my opinion in there.
2: No, I think that's some great advice for our young listeners and, uh, you know, young players that are looking to one day aspire to be an NLL player as well. But we appreciate it, Clark. Thank you again for joining, and uh, best of luck with you and the Thunderbirds, especially coming up against the
0: Roughnecks. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, so we appreciate Clark joining us. As I mentioned, he had seven points in this game against the Rock, which I thought was going to be closer than it actually was, but he really popped off. Um, give me your thoughts on this game, Sam. I thought it was you know my game to watch and it ended up not being as close as I thought it would be, um, but what are your thoughts on this Thunderbirds team?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, Clark Peterson went, off on Toronto and I mean something that people uh maybe kind of don't notice as much is that Schreiber had his like 100th career goal in that game yep um so you know great achievement for him um and Chris Boucher, three goals four assists for the Thunderbirds like it was it was mainly those two that were like contributing on offense um but you know they they exploded uh against the rock and you know, it was good to see it was good to see that their defense, uh, and Warren Hill specifically just completely like stifled anything the rock were trying mm-hmm. to get going. Um now they did suffer an injury um on offense, and I'm East Dutch, for, yeah, yes, yeah. So that's you know, I, I still think obviously the Thunderbirds are a really good team. Um, but I mean that you know, you can only take so many hits to your offense, and that's a pretty big piece right there. Um yeah
2: it's a shame that they, you know, especially picking him up. uh, I mean, he kind of sat in free agency for a while and um, it sounds like he's going to be out for the season, potentially, you know, maybe able to come back late playoff run. Um, But yeah, that that's tough for, for Reese Dutch, you know, obviously a staple of that Calgary rough next team won them that championship in overtime, you know, when we last had a champion and it was nice to see him land on a Thunderbirds team that can contend. Um, But it, it sounds like he, he has a knee injury that, He's going to keep him out. He's on the IR list now. Um, the good news is, you know, hopefully they're getting Jammer back. Uh, Cody Jamison. Uh, hopefully. The only reason that Dutch was able to play was because Jammer was a scratch uh, these first two games. So, you know, you look at it, that, hopefully it's not as big of a loss because, you know, you have Jamison coming in, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't really replicate not only Reese Dutch's, you know, offensive performances, but also just his ability to be clutch in the most clutch moments of the game so um they're gonna miss his veteran leadership hopefully he has a you know speedy recovery but uh yeah that was an unfortunate injury for um you know a team that's now 2-0 and looking like the cream of the crop um definitely hurts to have another offensive guy go down
1: yeah absolutely and with uh you know with the rock i mean the rock are still a good team i think mm-hmm. that even though they kind of got whipped a little bit by the thunderbirds i mean you, you t- toss your hat to and your sock to Clark Peterson and, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, move on to the next one. I mean, they're still, uh, they're one and one I mean, they're still like, in a, I mean, it's very early in the season. They still can easily bounce back. Everything they want to achieve is in front of them. Um, so I'm of the two teams, I'm actually more worried about the Thunderbirds, you know, hopefully Jameson can come in and like give them the base of the same boost that um, Dutch was giving them. But that's why I'm a little more concerned about the Thunderbirds and the Rock from this game.
2: Yeah, no, I I think they'll, they'll be fine. Um, Just given, you know, the depth that they have um, it is unfortunate again, like to lose a piece like Dutch. And again, we, you know, we're assuming that Jameson is going to come back, but uh, we thought he was going to be back for this game as well. And he wasn't. So hopefully he, he is, but um, yeah, I, I, I'd probably differ with you. I'm not too worried about Thunderbirds, Um, but I'm also not too worried about the Rock as well. I think it's a battle between two good teams and Thunderbirds came out on top, but I think it's going to be more interesting to see, you know, and I don't want to, um, spoil my matchup of the week, but the rock taking on the wings and see, I think that's going to be a, a bigger test for both the wings and kind of, we can see the, the rocks true colors in that game as well. Um, but since I alluded to the wings, let's talk about the wings versus the riptide on Friday night. Um, this is another game, you know, that going into it, I thought, okay, this is going to be a good, you know, show of, you know, kind of who the wings are. Cause I thought against Panther city, we, you know, we expected them to be a little bit more dominant than they have been in these first two games. Unfortunately, Jeff T was out on the COVID list. He missed both the Riptides game this weekend. So a bad uh, scenario for them, unfortunately. Um, Would they have won, you know, had he been on the team? Um, You know, I think they would have had a better shot. They played this Wings team tough. um, And, you know, he was seven points of production in that first game. So hard to say, but this Wings team still has problems, um, you know, letting teams hang around. I still think they're the superior team to this Riptide, um, but uh, they were unfortunately – you know, let them hang around, never relinquish the lead after going up 2 one after, you know, trailing one, nothing early on. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm still not sold on the wings. I, that's why, you know, I've got to see more against them against the rock, but some, some bright spots for the wings were Corey small had a, a massive day. Um, you know, he had eight points in this game. Um, he had five goals. He's been a great revelation for them. They got him from the bandits in the off season. Kevin Crowley, who was quiet in their first game made up for it four Goals and five assists, so the captain was uh feeling himself big cat. Um, and then top 10, yeah, he was on Sports Center top 10 as well in that BTV goal. So, um, a lot of top 10s, uh, moments for NLL, which had been great so far. Yeah. I think we've had three or four so far in just two weeks. Um, so that's been great. Um, and then Zach Higgins played well too. So, overall, I'm not too worried about this Wings team, I'm just not ready to put them in the contender status just yet, despite being at 2 and 0. Um, but you know, again. Give credit to the Riptide. They hung around. Callum Crawford still appears to be a thorn in the wing side no matter what team he's on. Um he kind of led that comeback. But what were your thoughts on the Riptide's offense despite the absence of Jeff T? Yeah,
1: I mean, they uh I know for the first week when we were on the Twitter space and you know, we kind of discussed like how is this Riptide team really going to shake out? Mm-hmm. Um offensively, they're fine. I and mean, they've got mm-hmm. Callum Crawford who's first in the league in points, and then uh Karen McCardle. doing his his best work uh, with second in the league in points, you know, and then they'll get Jeff T back. I mean, that's a a really potent offense right there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, defensively, they got to shore up a little bit. Uh, I mean, to the Wings' credit, they're an absolute wagon on offense. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think that uh, the Riptide, I'm not going to call them contenders, but I think they're going to be a little bit better as they get Jeff T back and kind of everyone starts to mesh a little bit. I think down the stretch, you know, they may not make the playoffs, but they, I think they could feasibly like pull off some pretty nasty upsets um, mm-hmm. and play a little spoiler down the end. Yeah. Um,
2: I, I think, you know, the 0 and 3 starts disappointing, but I definitely think they'll rattle off more than one win like they, uh, than they did, you know, um, in previous seasons as well. Again, the, my biggest question you mentioned the defense, but to me too, it's like goaltending, um, you know, is Abrams or Orleman going to be the guy, you know, like, they both looked all right. In the, their you know, games, but it's not, it's, it wasn't enough to kind of give me um, too much confidence in this team. You know, like you said, like um, I think they're not going to be bad, but you know, I, I still don't think they're above 500 team in this league. Uh, you know, it, it, it'll it depend, you know, Jeff T can go off. He can do wonders. We saw what he did with this Atlas team. Um, but um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I still need to see a little bit more. And unfortunately, you know, we're not going to, go too much into the Georgia swarm game, but um, you know, they ended up getting a second loss in the weekend on Sunday um, at the hands of Lyle Thompson had 10 points for the sixth time in his career. Um, so Lyle doing Lyle things. He was lyled in on um, this weekend, but tough loss losses for both of the, the, the riptide, both on Friday and Sunday, and they're already in an Oh three hole, which, uh, you know, it's not, not a good sign, long season, 18 games. So they, there's still plenty of, uh, of lacrosse, but it is very, very disappointing for them. I, I thought they were going to do a little bit more, more, too. And again, absence of Jeff Teet is a big asterisk on these last two losses. But credit to them for hanging around in this Wings team. I don't know. I felt like this game said more about the the Wings, unfortunately, than it did about the Riptide. Um, and I still think the Wings need to clean up, transition a little bit more. That's kind of what led to this comeback. Um, so, you know, we'll see kind of how they do. Uh, let's move on to the Mammoth Seals. It was the ESPN debut game. Our friends Brendan Glasheen and Mitch Belial had the call in NL's debut. and. Shiliano had a day. He held the Mammoth with just four goals. It was only the 24th time in regular season that a goalie had allowed four or fewer goals. Um, As rare as it was, though, four different goalies did it in 2020 in the shortened season. So are we seeing, you know, better defense, uh, you know, in this league as more teams get added, maybe, you know, less offensive production. Who knows? Uh, But he made 33 saves in this game. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I, I was high on the Seals going into this season kind of felt a little you know disappointed in their showing against the warriors so kind of reversed, you know course picking the, against them in this game and it probably shouldn't because this was the seals team that i was expecting to see um, going into the season but what were your thoughts on this game
1: yeah well i do know that i was like the only one that picked the seals in this game you were you and, were and i uh Go i was ahead. watching Go- it
2: brag gloat you you deserve it you, I, you picked them up yep. i
1: was watching it with uh, my my buddy uh alex who he uh he's taught me a lot about box cuz he plays for the team finland national team so he oh, wow. uh so he you know he's taught me a lot about kind of the offense's work uh, i mean just cuz coming from florida box doesn't exist um so watching the seals on their first game of week 1 you know uh given what you know alex had fed me i was like okay mm-hmm. this doesn't seem right he's like yeah no they're playing like terribly right now so okay fair enough and and then especially Dane Dane Dobie looked not very good in that first game against the Warriors um and so you know I I definitely took a little bit of gamble I was like okay I think that the Warriors are a decent team I think the Seals did not play even close to their potential Colorado coming off a blowout win against uh the Georgia Swarm who are young on defense like I, I think I like the Seals to bounce back here Mm -hmm. and they, and they did. I mean, it was, it was incredible. They, they were clicking in all, all phases of the game. Um, And I think that, you know, they may not be undefeated, but they're a dangerous team.
2: I know. I kind of wanted to have this discussion because I I feel like they are, you know, still a contender that I thought they were kind of going into, you know, knee jerk reaction to that first game, which I shouldn't have because they only lost by one to the Warriors um, or two, I I believe I forget, but you know, Buk played really, really well. Um, and, you know, overall, like this offense is still lethal. Mac O'Keefe and Trey LeClaire, like, yeah, you would kill just to have one of those rookies. And Dane Doby, you mentioned, was a, a, as MVP form. you know, maybe took him, uh, you know, a game to kind of get back to that. Um, but he had three goals and an assist and two highlight goals. One landed him on top Sports Center's top 10 as well. Um, and overall, I think Jeremy Noble was the missing piece in that first game. He was out and he ended up having six goals. And he ended up having six points in this game, as well as uh, another Denver University product, Westberg, who had five. So, um, Jeremy Noble, I think, kind of having him back kind of led to a little bit more comfortability for this offense. Um, and overall, this team looked really dominant. And, you know, they didn't dominate the Mammoth in that first quarter necessarily either. Um, you know, Mammoth looked like they were going to, you know, have a good offensive day. And Chiliano just came out and, Really, really crushed it in those last three quarters. So making some point blank saves, give credit to the defense as well for the Seals. But um, on the flip side, you know, if you're the mammoth, you got to figure out how to replicate that first quarter and toss those other three quarters aside. Because an offense with Connor Robinson, Tyler Digby, Zed Williams, Ryan Lee, Chris Wardle, Eli McLaughlin, list goes on, like should not be only putting up four points. Um, in this league. So, and one of their goals was called off because Chris Wardle stepped in the crease. So, you know, they could have potentially had five, but still this offense is too good to, you know, not play that well. And I thought Dylan Ward played all right. You know, he, he didn't play bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, not having Dan Coates, you know, is kind of starting to rear its head a little bit for the mammoth. Um, you know, they had a good opening game um, against the swarm, but I think this was a, you know, like you said, a, a more true or test, for the mammoth so still not sure about the mammoth i don't know how how i feel about them after this game you know i don't think they're a bad team but um yeah i I just need to see a little bit more from them before i'm you know gonna either place any money or really you know crown them as a contender but the seals yeah i agree uh they they look great they really did
1: yeah i mean my takeaway from this game is like you know the the parody in the league like you know, it's really tight. I mean, you've seen the riptide were a one-win team two years ago and now are competing with decent teams. But like mm-hmm. someone has to be the bad team. Like mm-hmm. someone has to suck. And I'm not saying it's the mammoth, but I would say I'm probably gonna not necessarily put the mammoth in of like a bad tier, but like I, I would peg the mammoth as like a mid-tier team. I I don't like to put a lot of weight on that week one performance for any of these teams. I mean, because they took two years off. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, l- looking at what I saw from the Mammoth in this game, it's like, okay, their offense can struggle, you know, uh, because that, you know, to your credit, yeah, they've got a ton of weapons. But now we've seen that those weapons may not always cash in. Um, mm-hmm. and we saw that with the SEALs, you know, like on in week one. And then uh with Vancouver, you know, we've seen they uh, you know, they they beat the SEALs and they turn around and run up the score on the on panther city mm-hmm. you know it's like you gotta who, who's gonna be the bad team um and i mean the mammoth maybe calgary maybe you know. Yeah. It, but it's gonna, you know calgary
2: had a big win too it, it's tough yeah. i think like you said it's early on this west is wide open to me whereas the east kind of has a little bit more tiers. you know like rochester we think is going to be better new york's going to be better but are they really going to be you know contending for those top spots probably not you know i think it's still the east is a little bit more set but yeah, the West, I agree. It's, it's a little bit more wide open, you know, and is it going to be, you know, maybe one of these mid-tier teams is going to end up being the odd team out. But, um, yeah, it's tough to say, say right now. And you mentioned Vancouver. They're one of four teams that's 2-0. and o. So of these 2-0 and o teams that are undefeated, uh, who's your, your kind of your top team right now? You know, obviously we think the Seals are kind of up there, but they're one and one. But you have the Thunderbirds are 2-0, and o, Wings are 2-0, Warriors are 2-0, and the and Bandits are 2-0. and o. Uh, Who's kind of your, your top 2-0 and o team right now?
1: Yeah, so of the top or of the four two and O teams, um, I yeah I like the Warriors, um, but you know th- their wins were against Panther City, who I mean couldn't couldn't stop anything um, in that game. They just gave them a ton of transition, just just nothing going for them. And uh, it is Will Malcolm's birthday, so happy birthday, Will Malcolm. Um, but he uh, you know so the Warriors like I haven't really seen them dominate a good team. Yet, And I want to see that out of them. And they play Saskatchewan this weekend. So that'll be, I think, a pretty good test for them. Mm. Um, But because I haven't really seen that out of them, I'm not going to put them at that spot. The wings are letting teams hang around. So I'm not putting them there either, but they definitely could. So then it comes out of the Thunderbirds and the Bandits. And, you know, until I see Jameson back on the Thunderbirds, I'm going to put the Bandits up um, just because I want to see Jameson come out and fill in the role he needs to fill in to keep the Thunderbirds on this train. Mm -hmm. But until then, you know, Bandits have looked fantastic. Um, I mean, they blew the doors off of uh, Calgary in week one. And then Mm -hmm. this past weekend, you know, they hung around. But then when they needed to, they closed it out, got some stops, scored scored when they needed to. to Tohoko looking fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what right now I'd say the Bandits are the best of this 2-0 team. Um, I think that they're – I mean, I – they're 2-0. I'd say they're contenders, and I don't think that's necessarily a hot take.
2: No, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I still am going to go Thunderbirds as my top team. You know, I, I think, you know, again, the assumption that Jammer's going to be back, but you saw what they were able to do. They played, you know, the Rock and the Rush. You know, not easy teams sitting out 2-0, two, two you know, without Jammer. Um, you know, obviously they had reached touch before he went down to injury, but um, I still feel really confident as the Thunderbirds team, but I agree with you with the Bandits and, you know, Connor Fields, Trey, that's been a revelation he had a huge day and it's kind of crazy to think like going in this season you know you kind of kind of you, you didn't scoff at the move of them adding connor fields but you're almost just like oh well they have so many offensive weapons like is he really going to put them you know over the top you know it's almost like him at, adding him to the archers great move had a great season but you know they already have a ton of offensive weapons it's just another you know kind of you know firepower it was more firepower and they're stable but you know, he's, you know, really proven to be like one of the top offensive weapons on this team, you know, not just another one of the offensive weapons. So again, his presence is great. Dane Smith is continuing to be Dane Smith, you know, um, and the chemistry that, you know, these guys and Cloutier, Josh Byrne, I see McKay back on the, the floor too, after missing the first game, um, and Frazier, like those guys that they built on the chaos, like it's translating in this, uh, you know, in the indoor game, um, you know, and we knew it would, but, um, you know, you're seeing them really just light it up on the score sheet, and Matt Vince is playing well in cage. So overall, yeah, I like this Bandits team. I think the reason why I still put Thunderbirds is because I feel like the Bandits played a little bit less of a tough schedule than uh, the Thunderbirds did. You know, Calgary obviously isn't anything to slouch at because they played the rush really, really well and beat them. Uh, but the the Nighthawks, I'm still a little uncertain about. Um, it's tough to judge them. They're another team that you know I really don't know what to expect from them based on their. First, you know, the first win against the Riptide and now, you know, a close loss to the the bandits. I think they're a better team, but you know, who knows? It, it's still tough for me to, to tell. But um, those are our thoughts on these weekend games, are the ones that we highlighted. Um, what's your matchup of the week going into week three for the nll
1: So I like Wings at Rock. I also like Saskatchewan uh, with Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um I think that when the wings at the rock definitely is like the clear cut. Like this is going to be a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Saskatchewan and Vancouver can be a good game and can be a really good kind of litmus test for the Warriors because, um, you know, they've got some good ones on their belt. Now, can they, can they go out and beat Saskatchewan? Who's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not the superpower they were two years ago, three years, how many years ago, like three or four years mm-hmm. ago, but still a decent team and played the Thunderbirds pretty close. Um, so that's, you know, wings at rock, definitely be a good game, but don't, don't sleep on the, the Warriors and uh, the rush. Yeah, I
2: agree. You know, TSN, a game of the week as well for Canadian fans. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good test for this Warriors team. I'm still, you know, I, Alex Buquet has played phenomenal all past two games, but I'm still kind of like, you know, seeing if he's going to maybe come down to earth or if, you know, this is a, a new Alex Buquet that we're seeing, um, you know, not the ones that we've seen in past season. So yeah, definitely a, a good one on my radar. But you mentioned Wings Rock. That's mine right now. Because I need to know, are the Wings legit? And now, you know, kind of be, you know, show itself against this good Rock team, especially a Rock team that can, you know, really score in transition, you know, with Latrell Harris, Challen Rogers, like, you know, even Tom Schreiber was getting involved in transition this last game. Um, so it's going to be a good test for them. And this is the toughest goalie they've faced in Nick Rose, who's playing really, really well, um, despite the, you know, week two loss. So um, this is a game that I have circled. And, you know, Trevor Baptiste you say what you will about face-offs you know do they impact the nll game as much as the field game not as much but you know having trevor baptiste is always great you know for the wings to get some a few extra possessions um now rock might activate td erlin um we're not sure if he is going to get activated for this game just yet but you know that kind of neutralizes that advantage they have so this is the game i'm looking forward to the most on i need to see if the, the wings are a legit contender or Um, Still have a little ways to go and we'll hopefully find out in this uh, rock wings game coming up this weekend. With that, my game picks are, I'm going Colorado to bounce back. Um, I have San Diego winning. I'm going to have Vancouver over the rush Toronto and then Albany in my game picks. Uh, What are your thoughts on this five
1: game slate? I mean, I I matched you all the way except for the Vancouver Saskatchewan game. Like I'm not saying Vancouver is a bad team, uh, but you know, it's like, I want them to win because I want I want to see like you know, I'm a I'm a Jags fan, so I want to see the bottom of the barrel of teams rise up to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, not really happening with the Jags, but Vancouver, <laughs> Vancouver perhaps. And so, you know, I think that Saskatchewan's games have been more telling. Uh, you know, they played the Thunderbirds really close. They played uh the they played Calgary really close. Um, you know, Vancouver has played a SEALs team that didn't play well close, blew out. A Panther City team that, you know, I think will be decent down the stretch, but maybe not so hot right now as they're working out kind of how they're playing together. You know, so wouldn't shock me to see Vancouver come out and beat the rush, but also, you know, I think that the rush can come out and win this game. And I think they're the better team. So that's you know, pick them.
2: Yeah, no, and mostly in agreement with you know, all that. Uh Albany, I'm hoping, you know, we'll will come out and uh get a win. Um, that's gonna be, you know, an interesting game too, though, playing Rochester. Um, so I think that's going to be another, you know, sign or is this Albany team, you know, also kind of up there cream of the crop or are they, you know, kind of middle of the pack, you know, no pun intended, uh, with the Wolfpack (laughs) reference, but, um, yeah, that, those are our thoughts on these NLL games coming up. I want you guys to remind you guys to tune in to our PLT preview, uh, on Twitter spaces. We're doing that on Friday night. Um, so definitely check that out. We appreciate Clark Peterson for hopping on the show, um, and talking with us. And, uh, we look forward to another episode of PLT next week. So thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Sam, for joining, making your debut. Great job. Um, And we appreciate you guys as listeners for tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.